Hey, y'all! You're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. You try too hard. I know it wasn't easy. I know it changed your life. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. This episode is going to be the first in a series looking at a women's pregnancy care center called Door of Hope. Its stated mission is to serve those with unplanned or crisis pregnancies. That would seem innocuous enough, but facilities like Door of Hope have recently become targets in the so-called culture wars within the national United States. Why? Well, those on the pro-choice side of the political aisle feel that these organizations are dishonest about how they represent themselves, saying that the clinics trick women into carrying their child to term and are actually a political arm of the pro-life movement. As this series unfolds, we'll hear from both women and men of varying races and backgrounds that are involved with and have been served by Door of Hope in an attempt at getting a comprehensive picture of what the facility actually is and does, in addition to talking frankly about the multifaceted and terribly divisive issue that is abortion. Our guest on this episode is the current director of Door of Hope, Mac Wells. I was meant to be. So can you tell us how Door of Hope got started, what the origin story is? Yeah, say. so Door of Hope was founded in the mid-1990s by my sister. Her name's Gwen Kick. When she was a young, uh, young adult, she was in her 20s. She was the executive director of a, a pregnancy center in Hopkinsville called Alpha Alternative. It was one of the first ones in our area, and she was very passionate about the work that they were doing. Was it similar to Dora Hope? Very similar to Dora Hope, but this was before pregnancy centers were medical. So uh, mostly what, what, what they would do is they would try to catch girls who were perhaps planning to have an abortion, give call them in to have a pregnancy test, a free pregnancy test available. So girls would come in for the free pregnancy test and then that way we could initiate a conversation with them and try to try to enlighten them as to what some of the actual risks and complications are and what they can expect uh, with abortion. Now not necessarily a scare tactic, just you know, give them the real information. So Gwen, she got pregnant with her first child um, and her name was Hope. And Gwen's middle name is Hope, Gwendolyn Hope Kick. She uh, carried Hope, and in um, the second trimester, like late in her pregnancy, the doctors discovered um, a problem with Hope. Uh, she had a, a genetic disorder that was going to cause her to die, and they said the term they used was incompatible with life. This baby is incompatible with life. The doctors really suggested to her, you need to terminate this pregnancy. And she wouldn't do it. She said, no, I'm not going to. And they explained to her, you know, you're going to give birth to a baby that is going to then immediately die. And she wrestled with that. She had a hard time. Naturally, anybody would. Devastating. They uh, were just so torn up about it. The day came and Hope was born and and Hope lived for about five or ten minutes. Um, Everybody got to hold her. um, And then she passed away. And Gwen asked that... And uh, instead of flowers or gifts that people make donations to get a pregnancy center started in Madisonville. And so enough money came in from that to start the origins of Door of Hope. 
started with her as the director, and it was uh, just a we we did two things at that point. It was pregnancy tests and try to you know talk to girls who were in a decision point, and then post abortive counseling or pregnancy loss counseling. Um, in fact, Gwen and another lady, Teal Fackler, at that time wrote a Bible study for pregnancy loss. It was the first one on the market. Um, there wasn't any material out there for, for this before that. It was called Threads of Hope and Pieces of Joy. And we still offer that study here at Door of Hope. And of course, since then, there's, there's lots of stuff on the market for, for coping with that grief. So when did you come into the picture? Well, I mean, I've always had some loose relationship with the Door of Hope, uh, mostly as a donor or working with helping set up events. Um, but I didn't become the director until September of 2017. First male director that we've ever had. And the director had announced that she was going to resign and move to a different position. Um, and, and people had called me um, as I work in the church and I'm a pastor and uh, had said, hey, the Door Hope needs to find a director if you've got anybody that would fit the bill. So after several months, two or three phone calls like that, and I would kind of keep my eyes open. I could tell that they were getting, you know, kind of worried. We need to find somebody to fill this position. So Gwen had called me and she said, we got to find somebody to fill this position. It was interesting. I had just updated my resume a couple of weeks before. And I said, well, what's the job description? And she, uh, she said, I'll get it. She sent it to me, emailed it to me, and it, it almost matched that resume update pretty closely. I said, I think I'm the guy for the job here. Um, so I put it in my resume and it all worked out. Giving the voice to the voiceless, saying it's choiceless because they're priceless. My princess, I fear the kicks and the turns. Give me a turn in the shot of this world to fight, to fight, to beat my plight and let my light shine in this dark time. With all these ways of rambling, climbing, let this world drown in these ultrasounds. Hearing these heartbeats speak sweet, so profound. Well, let's get right into a controversy then because I know that. Um, I think back in the 80s, there was Operation Rescue, that was a pro-life movement. One of the criticisms that was always leveled at it was that the director was a man. I think it was Randall Terry might have been his name or something. Now, in his defense, he put his money where his mouth was in that he and his wife had adopted children, you know, assumingly that might have been aborted. Has there ever been any criticism or do you see legitimacy of that kind of criticism that, hey, there's a man running a a crisis pregnancy i don't see the criticism of it being fair if you if you're looking at things from our point of view now if you're looking at it from um, an opposing point of view and pro-choice being about women's health I, I still don't think it's really fair criticism it would be like saying uh, we shouldn't have male OBGYNs. So I don't think that the criticism is fair that a male shouldn't be involved in this work or any other work regarding feminine health. And you guys also not only help women, but you help men as well. We really want to help men, yeah. We're working on that. It's hard to get the men involved. Um, and so by men, you mean the fathers? The of? fathers. Okay. And honestly, I'd like to reach anybody that's about to become a father, whether it's an unplanned pregnancy or not. Fatherhood is so important, and I think we're dropping the ball on it a lot. Mom and seven kids couldn't have gotten very far. 
She said she thought she could never love again And then there he stood with that big white grin He married my mother, he took us in So can you give a rundown of what the, the Door of Hope does exactly? What services do they provide? Sure, we do ultrasounds, free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests. We offer peer mentoring, call that an Earn While You Learn program. So a mother from the time of conception up to a two-year-old child can come in weekly and we have a roster of curriculum that they can do courses that are of interest to them, things that will be helpful at the same time they earn points for each uh, session that they do and then they can spend those in what we call the blessing closet which is essentially a store, it's just a baby store. I mean there's toys, clothes, diapers, wipes, anything that you could need to raise a child is in there. They can earn points to buy those things. Now we also have um, men's mentoring and we're going to start like a men's fatherhood group. Um, we're having challenging time getting men to meet individually so we're going to try a group and see how that works. Um, we also do um, refer referrals for adoption. Uh, should, should a girl choose to carry the baby but give it up for adoption, we want to walk with them and help them with that. We also have pregnancy loss counseling and uh, post-abortion counseling. Now back to, you said the blessing closet? Yeah. And some people might criticize, like, well, why don't you just give them the stuff? Why are you making them earn it? Yeah. What, what's the motivation behind that? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we really want to share the gospel with these girls. And in my heart, when I say we want to share the gospel with them, it isn't so much about saying, uh, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? As much as it is having the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with, with each, each girl that comes through the door. Um, and if we're, we're just giving it out, then that limits the amount of time that we can be with them and, and perhaps give them a chance to see genuine love, form relationships. You know, there's so much more to walking with a person through um, a life event than, than meeting their need. So can you give an example of like a typical story of a woman who maybe came to y'all or obviously this is a small town so everyone pretty much knows what Door of Hope is. Generally do they just walk in off the street or does somebody bring them in or, or? Surprisingly a lot of people don't know what Door of Hope is. I think a lot of people in the church community know but the, the clients that we're trying to reach may not know. The typical client does know and they're very young, they may have a mother bring them in. I'll just give you an example of the most typical client would be like in her early 20s, late teens, most of them are between 18 and 25, um, mostly white, would come in and have a boyfriend, often the boyfriend is involved at the time, and um, they've become pregnant, uh, what they'll say, accidentally. Right. Um, and so that a lot of a lot of times it's simply looked at as a resource. We're 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 serving as a resource to help them walk with them through that time. And do some of them come in thinking like this is also an abortion clinic? Yeah, that happens. Um, usually that's phone calls, and so it's the less frequent uh, thing that happens. 
but nevertheless, it, it happens enough that there are many stories about it. So a girl may walk in and not knowing what we do, say, I need a referral to an abortion clinic. Can you refer me to an abor- abortion clinic? Um, and what we're always straightforward and say immediately, we don't do that. But the ultrasound is, let's, let's make sure that you are pregnant first, because I, I think there are a lot of horror stories of abortion clinics. You go in and have the procedure done, and they don't actually check to see if you're pregnant or not. You may not even be pregnant. So here's the money, and we do the procedure and move on. So we do have that. We have people call, and they'll ask, do you do abortions, or can you refer me to an abortion? And our, our goal is always to be, first of all, forthright and honest about what we are, and secondly, to get them in the door. How would you go about getting them in, especially if that they're just wanting to end the pregnancy as quick as possible? Well, just by trying to say, let's make sure you are pregnant. And we use the word free as much mm-hmm. as we can in there. Come in, we'll do a free ultrasound, a free clinical pregnancy test, and let's just make sure you are pregnant before you you know, drive to Nashville and spend eight or $900 or $1,000 having an abortion. Let, just come in and let us make sure you are pregnant. Right. Um, and at which point we would hope to say, you know, there are a couple of other options. You know, you could, you could give your child up for adoption or you could just parent. Um, and typically we'll try to then share some of the risks associated with abortion mm-hmm. and then some of the stories that we know from women who have had abortions and post-abortive counseling. What are some percentages that do you think of like, of like women who keep the child or give up for adoption or maybe just ignore you guys altogether and just go off, like you said, down to Nashville? That's a great question. To my knowledge, we've only had one client go through to an adoption, um, and that's been recently. I would say, just guessing, probably half of the girls that, that come in we and are looking for an abortion we never see again and we don't know what happens, mm-hmm. which most likely means they go on and have the abortion. And then there are a good chunk of girls who choose otherwise. We try to gauge the vulnerability of each client that comes to the door. Like, how vulnerable are they to abortion? Um, and this can be a tricky, a tricky thing to try to gauge. If you have a, a girl come in who's pregnant, she's really excited. She says, I'm pregnant. I can't wait to be a mother, and this is going to be great. Well, we ask the question, well, is the father involved? Oh, yeah, he, he lives with me. Well, does he know that you're pregnant? No, I haven't told him yet. I wanted to make sure. Or uh, what about your parents? Have you told your parents yet that you're pregnant? No, I haven't told anybody. I wanted, Well, that girl is actually, even though she's excited to have the child, is actually pretty vulnerable because once she gets back with those other voices, they can be very loud, very persuasive. Mm-hmm. So we try to assess the vulnerability. Every girl, really every girl that comes in to some degree is vulnerable. Knowing you the best part of life, do I have the right to take yours? Cause I created you irresponsibly. Subconsciously knowing the act, I was a part of the start of something. I'm not ready to bring it to the world. Had myself believing I was sterile. I look at your mother's stomach and wonder if you are a boy or a girl. Turning this woman's wound into a tomb. But she and I agree. A seed we had a girl who, who came in. This was this is a girl who's college educated. She's in a middle to upper socioeconomic bracket, but had a indiscretion and found herself pregnant and did not know what to do. She, she didn't know what she was going to do. She had always kind of considered herself to be pro-life, and now here I am on this side of the, the equation. 
she and she couldn't imagine herself parenting. She doesn't want. She didn't want to do that, and she chose to go through with adoption. So she carried her child fully to term. In the time, met the couple that was going to take her child. Um, just within the past couple of months, gave birth and and gave the child to the the couple. I call that a success story because that was a life that was saved, and at the same time, it's a tragedy. You know. This girl, it was very hard for her. Very conflicted, I think. And interestingly, if you are in an arrangement like that, when the baby is born, the birth mother has three or four days that she could change her mind. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. But she she did it. She stuck to what she said she was going to do, and it was very difficult. Wow. How do you counsel someone like that? I mean, obviously, you can tell her she's given this child a life, a good life. Yeah. But obviously that can bring some guilt too, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine what it's like to, what it would feel like to know that you have a child somewhere and not know where. That would be really difficult for me. As far as how I would counsel someone like that, I do not like um, dismissing pain. To dismiss pain is unfair for everybody involved. And so we can dismiss someone with Christian platitudes really easily. You know, everything happens and God won't give you more than you can handle. And we're eager to dismiss someone else's pain because we're uncomfortable with the pain. But the really challenging thing is to sit with someone in pain and sympathize with their pain of having, because I I can't, I don't know what it's like, but I can imagine how hard that would be. Mm-hmm. Is the, in this case you were telling about, the couple that took the baby, are they in town or are they somewhere else? They're somewhere else. That might make it a little easier. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. What's the state of adoption now? The way it was told to me that lawyers have gotten involved and it's become ex- extremely expensive. Yeah, and I wish I had exact figures to give you. Mm-hmm. I don't, but you're right. It's very expensive and this to me is a, a really a, a sore spot. Why in the world would we, we live in a culture that's actively trying to keep people from being able to adopt a child? You know, that is, plays into why the agenda, you know? Mm-hmm. What is the agenda here? I, I wish I knew where all that money goes. Who gets all that money? You've got, you've got a, a couple here who, in a very difficult circumstances can't have children and that in itself is is really a hard situation and then you've got a girl over here who's having a baby and and she can't parent it and this is a really hard situation both of these people are in crisis so to speak mm-hmm. and we want to make money off of that it's a no-brainer to me draw up a legal document mm-hmm. sign it you know, a few hundred bucks. <laughs> if that, <laughs> if I if I can have for a hundred dollars a will made that says whoever is entitled to my possessions after I die, right? Could we not also draw up a document that's just as simple um, about this? banquet 
a few weeks ago that where the a lot of the town churches get together mm-hmm. and raise money for the the door of hope and there was one woman there who gave her story that she had had an abortion but then later door of hope had give her some counseling and helped her out what do you tell a woman who's had an abortion and re- regrets it or maybe someone's listening to this now and has went through that or has maybe they're a man who's pressured a woman in, into doing that what do you say to them i guess i would say that that you know all of us have a past everybody has made choices that they're not proud of for most of us though uh, a lot of those choices are easily dealt with or exposed or it's not necessarily a, a secret a lot of times uh, an abortion is a secret that's the whole point you know you do it just so that nobody will know and the longer you walk with that secret the more taxing it can be um, and you can let go of it so that's what I would say to anyone that's listening you can let go of it and as a matter of fact even if you've been involved in an abortion man or woman and you don't feel like you have any baggage about it I would encourage you to, to come see us and come talk to our counselors we've had stories of people who went through the 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 process who didn't think they had any baggage and then afterwards they were like wow uh, I didn't realize how much I actually was carrying on account of that hmm. now based on what you just said I, I, I would think that the pro-choice side would say well you're planting that guilt inside them they were they didn't feel guilty because they hadn't done anything wrong how would you answer that the way we approach post-abortive counseling is as much as possible from an angle that doesn't involve guilt or shame. And that is very important to us, that we not use language, like we have it in our our policies, that we never use language like kill the baby um, or murder, these things that sort of evoke a guilt. Um, We try as hard as we can to stay away from that, from, from giving any kind of guilt. Because as Christians, I mean, we know if, if we're a mature Christian, that we are all guilty and we're all equally guilty. So we don't want to inflict any more guilt on anyone than we'd have to. And it's from a place of love that we want to help people with, with that. And so um, even with our pregnancy loss counseling, if you've had an abortion, there's a loss there. Even regardless of the guilt, regardless of whether or not you think that it's right or wrong, later you've got a loss. This was a child that you, you maybe didn't think you could have at the time and, and lost. Well, in the culture wars, I think a lot of people that are on the pro-life side, and I know I've done this, you look at back to history and you try to compare the, the situation with abortion in America with slavery in America, for example. And that's the one that comes to mind. There's other things you could think about maybe the Holocaust, where people were kind of in denial that it was happening, you know, the, on the, the, the Europeans. But um, at least with the abolition movement, there was a divide even there. Like, do we do this with, like, the love of Christ to try to explain people what they're really doing to, at that time, was African Americans? Or do, you, do we use, I think, like it was, um, maybe it was Wilberforce, I think, in Britain, who would use drawings of what slavery looked like, and or... They would sometimes, there was some incident apparently where they pulled up a slave ship. It was full of slaves, deliberately had the like, aristocrats and maybe some parliament members kind of out in the area and they, had, they, they smelled this terrible smell. 
and maybe heard these you know groans and heard the misery of slavery and that was to them that was one of the that was justified and it was one of the ways they eventually outlawed it you know what do you say to that and how do you find the line between being compassionate but also you know stating the truth of an atrocity that it can be it's really challenging um, because like I will see posts on social media mm-hmm. that are, are political in nature the the aim of the post is at uh, the culture war like you're saying it, the, the person that makes this statement about uh, pro-life and abortion so for instance um, there was a after one of the school shootings and we were talking about you know stricter gun laws and some someone had posted a picture of abortion tools and said you know these instruments are used to kill x thousand number of children every year that's aimed at making a political statement but in in my view the, the person that that's hurting is the person that's had an abortion and has come to regret it, mm-hmm. it it's not worth the cost um, because you as you probably know, you're not going to sway anyone's opinion by a, f- a Facebook post. It's really just lobbing a grenade at your mm-hmm. enemy, which doesn't even bother them or hurt them. Right. <laughs> who you hurt is is the person who, you know, we're trying to help. Right. So there is a there is a fine line there on how do you how do you approach a culture war and at the same time try to help the person. It's challenging with so many issues from the from my point of view as a pastor too where we live in culture where we're at at this point I don't know that trying to keep Christian values at the center of our political landscape is worth our energy with a, with a shrinking church I feel like we, we would be better spent spending our time loving the people rather than <clears throat> trying to influence policy I'm for influencing policy, you know, so we have lots of great legislators in Kentucky and they are doing good work on pro-life issues. We're not the strictest state in the nation, but we are one of them. We have a lot of restrictions on abortion that, that make it difficult for a clinic to survive here. Mm-hmm. But from a, from a pastoral point of view, uh, I met a, a, a guy from Scotland and they have a really rapidly declining church atmosphere in Europe and the United Kingdom. A, a person in the room asked this pastor, in the retrospect of the last 20 years, what could you have done differently? What do you think the church should have done differently? And he said, we spent way too much time trying to make sure the Christian values were part of our culture rather than just doing what Jesus would, would do. And I guess that's kind of where I stand on it. Okay. I, I think we're just at a place where trying to influence culture is. I don't know that it's. I don't know that it's going to work. I should say too, like that. I. A lot of people will hear me say those things and think that I'm saying that we should not try to influence policy at all, and that that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is shouting and fighting and and doing these things is of no use. Right. I think it would just push people away anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. And then if it's not that, it's like the other thing where they're um, telling you uh, how hard it is to have kids. Oh, David, it's so hard. I mean, God, I love her so much, but it's so hard having kids. Like, come on, man. That's, that's not hard. I'll tell you what hard is. Try talking your girlfriend into her third consecutive abortion. <laughs> yeah. That's hard. 
That takes finesse. Keeping with the culture wars, there does seem to be an attempt to normalize abortion or to downplay what it really is. And uh, we can think of, you know, of course, Hollywood probably being the biggest tool of propaganda, I suppose. Can you give some incidences recently that, and comment on uh, their angle? Like Michelle Wolf recently was joking at the, what they call it, the press dinner, or in her tirade, she made some jokes about abortion and tried to you know, make it funny. Mike Pence is also very anti-choice. He thinks abortion is murder, which first of all, don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> and when you do try it, really knock it. You know, you gotta get that baby out of there. Again, from a Christian point of view, how do you absorb it without getting too angry and... There have been a couple of times recently where I've heard abortion jokes in movies or on TV. Uh, in particular, there was a movie that was on TV we were watching over the weekend. Uh, and the father, you know, like a grandfather age, sits down with his adult son and says, you know, you, we, we were gonna abort you. Uh, and tells him this story about the, the abortion. It's all very much comical. Uh, you know, we were going to abort you. It was the 70s, and that's just what we did back then. And uh, I asked your mother, let's stop and get a slice of pizza. And at the end, if you still want to do it, we'll do it. And so he lands on the pizza saved your life, you know. Which there's lots of stories like that that happen, but the, the tone of it was just in jest. And like you're saying, normalizes it. It's a sanctity of human life question. And that our society in whole does not view human life as being valuable or important. And it's disposable. Let's talk about some of the politics of it because there is a, obviously there's politicians that are either one way or the other and mm -hmm. maybe sometimes they're sincere, maybe they're not. It can be tricky because you have politicians, if you don't support them, sometimes they will turn against you. Right. We have politicians that will come and um, often want us to endorse them. So we want to support what you're doing, and in turn, we'd also like you to say, you know, cast your vote for candidate B. And we just always refuse to do it. We just won't do it. You know, so if you want to come and you want to be a part of our fundraiser or you want to... Uh, that's great, but we will not put vote for on, on anything. How do they take that when you tell them that? Some of them take that fine, they understand, and some of them don't want, they'll, they'll leave. So they'll wow. just walk away from it if it's not mutually beneficial. That's unfortunate. It is, which, like you had pointed out in your earlier question about the genuineness of, of the cause. Right now, we have a lot of pro-choice um, people in Frankfurt. And they're, they're moving through uh, sanctity of human life things pretty well. Just this past year was pushed through a bill that made it illegal to have a, a type of abortion called dilation and evacuation beyond 11 weeks, I believe is, is what it was. It limits, it just ties hands on what the abortion providers in Kentucky can do. Uh, and it's hard to stay in business when you you can't provide all kinds of services. You know, imagine if, if somebody told the tire store you can no longer sell tires without white walls. <laughs> you know, yeah. the most common thing. Um, they would have a hard time staying in business. So we are fortunate that we've got some pretty pro-life 
candidates in office. Locally, has there been any controversy? Has anybody protested you guys? Like, We haven't had very much here. I know that there are people in our community that dislike what we're doing. What is their argument? Well, if it's looked at as a women's health issue, that we are opposed to women's health, it takes the real issue and turns it into a different issue. And so, of course you would be upset with us. Of course anybody would be upset with us if we were against women having an equal right to health care as anybody else. So if that's what a person that's opposed to us really believes, I understand why they'd be frustrated with us. But how do we change that perception so that it's clear that the door of hope is not um, against women's health? Uh, We're very much for women's health. That is the whole point. I guess our views of what that means to be um, providing health care for women is different. How mama used to clean somebody else's house just to buy me a new pursuit. I never understood how mama made it through the week when she never ever got a good night's sleep. Have you seen a child that you know that you had a hand in, you know, saving from an abortion and you've helped the mother or the parents with, you know, getting the first couple of years of life started and you've seen maybe the parents make poor life decisions after that and end up not taking care of the child very well or end up in an unfortunate situation. Have you seen that and, and uh, how do you cope with that? That's difficult. That does happen. I wish (laughs) that we could address every issue. You know, I'm one of these guys that uh, I I want to address all the issues. So this family, say you have a a woman and her boyfriend come in and they're going to have a child. And so you asked earlier, like, why not just give them the the stuff? Mm -hmm. We want them in here as much as we can to try to impact a life change. Um, so that the, the direction that they're heading with the child is into a stable direction, which doesn't always happen. In fact, quite often doesn't happen. And so I, I know that we do have kids that go on to be in unfortunate situations. We have what I call <laughs> repeat customers. Uh-huh. You know? And often those folks that, that are repeat customers, um, you can tell that they love their children. They are happy with their decision. Those folks are really looking at us more of a research, a resource center. But they're still making poor choices. Still making poor choices. That's why when we, when, when, when I think of getting fathers in here, there's so many things that, that really we, I would want to address. Just even how to get a job, how to interview well and get a job. So many of the, the fathers that I've had a chance to meet with don't have jobs or have really poor jobs. And so that's just a basic skill. I really think that in today's climate, if you could teach a guy or a girl just, just to show up on time and come every day, they'd have like a huge leg up on even college graduates. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to give them what hopefully teach life skills that will make the, the home poise it for success where it is a great environment that the child's coming up in we had a girl um a young college age girl who worked with us over the part of this summer she is 
I don't know, she might be in her early 20s, I don't know how old she is, but she helped with the administrative assistant position. Her mother was one of the first clients we ever had, wanted to have an abortion. Um, and she came to Door of Hope and, and went through some of, our, some of our programs and opted not to do that. And this is a great success story. You know, identical twins. Um, these two girls are well-known around town, two of the most well-rounded young girls I've ever met. And so that's, that's always amazing to me, like to see these now adult children that, that is a picture of exactly what you'd want to have happen. And they come help out here? Yeah. Wow. No looking back to what it used to be I declare in Jesus' name No more shame We'll stop back in at the Door of Hope in a few weeks with a different voice in the organization. Until then, you might want to give In the Corner Back by the Woodpile episode 159 a listen where we talk with Mr. Chico Perriman about the realities of domestic violence, domestic terrorism, coercion, the Me Too movement, and more. In the Corner Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at SpunCounterGuy at Hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. No more, no more shame.